Welcome black to welcome black and stay. Yes. Welcome back to Blurred on the Street, a podcast featuring three Black and Indigenous women who cover everything from books, movies, TV shows, and games, just to name a few. I'm Lily. And I'm Jenna. And I'm Jillian. And today, we are going to be talking about Black Panther Wakanda Forever and giving a review. So to start, I actually found a headline that actually came out uh, last month in February um, where uh, CNN, I'm taking this from CNN, but there's a couple of other outlets that have the same uh, headline, but it is the French Defense Ministry condemns Black Panther Wakanda forever over depiction of French troops. Immediately, no. No. This is well, like let's let's on- talk about this the scene that they're actually talking yeah, about. Yeah, right? this so- is the scene after it's it's near the beginning, and it's after we see the whole funeral scene, and then it's one year later, so one year after um, King Chichala has died, and it is um, Queen Raimunda uh, taking her rightful spot as as the leader and participating in a a UN meeting apparently um where uh she is supposed to answer to some uh criticisms that other member countries have about uh Wakanda and whether they are sharing so to speak vibranium the french defense minister is upset by the portrayal of the French mercenaries in Wakanda Forever, um, the ones that were uh, attacking a, I guess it's like a substation or like a outside. I think they called uh, it an outpost. They called it an, yeah, an outpost. Okay, an outpost. Um, And these soldiers come and attack uh, this outpost, but the Dora Milaje kind of steps out from behind a, uh, it looks like a vault, um, and just, you know, fight back and uh, defend the outpost. Um, so what is revealed and, in the- and And it's something to say that they take all of the um, French mercenaries prisoner. They do not actually kill any one of them. Kind of found out that they were from the French, um, and so they bring the soldiers in to kind of kneel at uh, Ramonda's feet, but also like giving them back to France. Um, and uh, there's a really cool moment where uh, Okoye, who's played by Danae Guerrera, she kind of turns to the French uh, UN dignitary and is like, well, here you go, basically. I forget exactly what she says in French. She said, um, you're welcome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so in that, the defense minister, he's upset because essentially the uniforms that those mercenaries that are brought 
in or wearing are similar to those of the French troops that were sent to Mali in 2013. Um, and they don't really say exactly how they're similar, but um, he just, he found them very similar. Um, but, and then he's saying, I think that we need to pay tribute to the 58 French soldiers who died defending Mali at its request against Islamist terrorist groups. And he, he, uh, um, he put that on Twitter. A phone call to CNN that the uh, French military is painted as being involved in pillage of resources of a country. And of course, that is unacceptable. I hadn't uh, heard, or maybe I just don't remember about the occupation of Mali by France. So I read another article about how um, how the uh, French occupation came to be in Mali. So most news sources agree that Mali did ask for help from France. Um, and then France sent about 5,000 troops to help fight an armed rebellion um, against a terrorist group uh, trying to get a foothold in Mali. So France was, this is back in 2013. So then France was supposed to, you know, leave and hand the government back to Mali after this terrorist organization was uh, suppressed. But France stayed there and occupied for, um, well, actually, they, they just left. So it's like nine to 10 years of France occupying Mali. So it's like nine to 10 years of France occupying Mali. Um, so then, you know, the UN in the midst of this sent over 14,000 peacekeeping troops. Mali wants to hold a general election to get their country back on track. But now that probably won't happen until maybe 2024, 2025, because they need to fix the damage that France did by just remaining in their country since uh, 2013. Right. So they they left Mali in 2023. Yeah, it says um, there was a another paper by Harvard that said that they left in January 2023. I can't get that exact date pinned down, but they, but I do know Emmanuel Macron, the president of France, he, he said that they were going to pull out troops back in February, 2022, but it looks like it hasn't, they haven't, I think they've only just all left. Jillian, I really want you to repeat that quote. You said that the French minister had said um, about how it, it makes France look bad. Yeah, it was like so it's a very I'll specific whole, language that you said. Yeah, that I'll say I the whole was thing. Like, okay. Pillaging okay. That, that. Let one. me let me say the whole quote again. All right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he says, oh, I'm sorry. This is actually a French defense ministry spokesperson telling this to okay. CNN on a phone call last, I'm sorry, not last Monday, but um, February 13th, Monday, February 13th. While all the other elements of the film are fictional names and places, there is a clear designation of France. The French military is painted as being involved in pillage of resources of the country. And of course, that is unacceptable. 
He says the depiction is unacceptable. He is saying what's unacceptable is the depiction that someone might some... dare to say this is what France does. That's... It's still, Either way just, you slice it, it's, it's it's not a good look. They they've taken this personally, I guess. I mean, there's a huge swath of Africa that was colonized by the French. So yes. it's not out of line for Africans to have to deal with French military and French soldiers and French mercenaries. Correct. And they have a whole like website, peacekeeping.un.org. Okay. <laughs> we can't let the marketing. Yeah, the marketing. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, I mean, it just—it really does just sound like. Yeah. They're in their in their pictures. They're not armed. But in their pictures, they're like walking places or like using a walkie-talkie, so maybe they don't have to have a gun on them at all times. But I, I don't know. It's just it's interesting how these Western nations think about Wakanda forever and kind of upset at a movie for depicting something a certain way when you know we could argue the same thing for so many other movies about black people Mm. you know yeah especially in like uh i don't know maybe i guess like the 90s or like 2000s or a lot of like movies about black people as like drug dealers or like super violent so anyway I just wanted to share that and hopefully get some interesting buzz going or not buzz, but discussion going with our listeners and see what they think. So I'll be posting this on our Instagram. So sound off in the comments. My big issue that I had with the movie was how it pitted brown-skinned people against brown-skinned people um, and or non-whites against non-whites. And um, while I can, you know, there's going to be people I'm sure that are screaming, oh, but that's canon or whatever they want to say. So I kind of just wanted to see what, you the two of you thought because I don't know if this is something that I just picked up on and and it's you thought differently or or like what are your thoughts um so my first thought was I like that the we're giving um screen time to two different BIPOC groups you know, and like that was the majority of the screen time was between those two nations, so Wakanda and Talakan. Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree that the movie as a whole showing not only um, the Wakandan culture, you know, that they showed that culture, which is based on Mesoamerican um culture uh mm-hmm. 
So I did like that there was a lot of screen time from both of those cultures to shine and for people to see um, the effect that um, imperialism and um, it's not even just imperialism, but even sometimes like capitalism as well um, had on cultures that were existing far before um, the white people okay. came um, and that issues that we're dealing with now um, didn't really exist in a sense before white people inserted themselves. Um, and I, I liked seeing that, but I also, like I said, I didn't like that it's always, it always feels like it's us, it pits um, non-whites against non-whites, but I didn't like it, not because it existed as just being Black people against Indigenous people. I didn't like it because the whole seed of why it became that was fruit to me off a poison tree that um, was disingenuous on the, the intellect of these groups and their leaders and the people who could make the decisions. But um, I think that that leads into the point that the, like the, the criticism that I had about it, which was, which was about Black versus Indigenous, but it was a more um, specific point that was specifically Talcon versus Ruby Williams. Okay, so do you want to get into that a little bit? Um, so, so this seed that I'm talking about with, with, with the whole movie um, is the idea that Riri Williams built this engine and um, the, the Talakan people and specifically Kukulkan thought that the building of this engine was the time that they it was after all these these centuries, right? Because Kuku Khan was born in the 16th century. So after all these centuries of their culture being underwater and unknown and unseen by the surface that this engine and Riri Williams in particular was the time they needed to intervene. And I feel like it's very disingenuous that that Kuku Khan himself really decided that this black girl, which she was a girl, right? Like it actually annoyed me on second going through watching it when there were so many times that she was referred to as the American scientist, which is an, again like this this idea of making um, black children older and more responsible for than their actual age and doing and being adult when they are not. She was 19, she's 19. They say that in the movie, she's a child. And that Kuku Khan decided 
that targeting this black child was the way forward for his people when it would have been very easy and within him and his people's um, intellect to understand that Riri was not working in conjunction with any government that would have um, exploited this engine. And in fact, it was stolen and the CIA weaponized it and made it into something that was dangerous. Whereas Riri's original idea was not in fact dangerous. So I don't like the fact that that's where we start off that that Kuku Khan has has decided that no it's 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 Riri that's the problem not to go too off course but I'm actually reading a book right now where they mention that very point that you just made Lily about how black children are often um looked at as being more adult than they are and especially black girls so that's an interesting point that you brought up because um i i totally agree with that and i wouldn't have thought of that to be quite honest until you just said it right now like when children are viewed as being mm-hmm. adults as opposed to children because yeah, all and... slews of, of of white men in their 20s in college are oh my gosh they're just kids they're they, they just made a mistake this is this but as but a 19 year old right. black girl is is mm-hmm. a grown-up is an adult she's responsible she should be mm-hmm. right yeah. exactly so weird when he said that she's responsible when like you said like he should be intelligent enough to comprehend that she made this as a project for school just to find like to detect i forget exactly what it was like just to detect metals and it wasn't like a weapon to attack them like they just used it to find metals in the surf like under the surface of the earth and it's not her fault like namor should be intelligent enough to know that it's not her fault that her work was stolen that she didn't even know that it was taken she didn't specifically make this for the cia the cia saw the potential of the of the machine and are using it you know without her consent um and they are it's not like she sold it it or anything right Right. they are the ones who took it and are using it against their people and they did retaliate against those people if you get rid of her you know she like somebody else might try to replicate it which is the issue they had with the super soldier serum from captain america like in um especially in falcon and the winter soldier there's always gonna be somebody else so I'm just kind of like, why did you want to go after this girl who this you should be intelligent enough to know knew nothing about this? Yeah, no, I, I just, I, I guess I expected better and I expected, um, mm-hmm. you know, right. This is Ryan Coogler, right? This isn't just some white dude. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess I really expected there to be more introspection on 
that yeah um, I... that 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 could still fit into a marvel movie yeah for sure it definitely could i i worry that some studios think that they have to do things like really kind of like oh okay so this happened because this happened and then that's it there's no other understandings or any other factors that could happen to make for us to get from point a to point b like it could Mm -hmm. be like a thousand other letters in between a and b but eventually we'll still get to b but they just want to take the shortest path to b in order to get the movie made and developed and sold you think yeah i think i think some of that that some of those things that like felt like it was still um white hands on the wheel even though Kugler was you know doing the thing I guess you would say that that really turns me away from some of this and I don't really have that much um it is the word I don't have that much faith that that um that Marvel actually can do good movies about people of color or TV shows. Like I don't, I don't have any desire to watch the next um, what's it called, Falcon, based on what I saw of the first one, but also on some of the stuff that I've heard coming out about what the storyline's going to be and what they're going to put Falcon through for their next, for this. Oh, what have you heard? I don't think I've heard anything. Um, I mean, this was like way back in the very beginning when they announced that there was going to, and they were like, oh, he's not going, he's going to have to earn the Captain America. Um, Well, yeah, uh, he already has. It's not going to be easy. It's yeah. not going to be easy on him. We're going to bring in um, this and that. And like, I just think that like, like it feels to me the same thing when I'm, when Black History Month rolls around, you know, if you're just going to retread um, Martin Luther King Jr.'s words into assuage your white guilt, then I just don't want white people to, to talk about Black History Month right like I don't want them like they can being quiet is always free I loved the costumes and outfits that they had in this movie and um I think in the first movie also they it was the whoever the costumer was did a fantastic job I looked up her name and and then I can see it's uh Ruth 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 Carter that's it yes yes um so I think she did a great job in the first one but I think in this second one because it was also bringing in the Mesoamerican influence it was just really fantastic I liked how there was research done in the actual you know mesoamerican societies that existed and um that the earrings and Mm -hmm. the jewelry was all uh sort of very historical based 
um, even though this is like fictional society. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I I also kind of liked, I read an article, I think it was for Vogue that she did um, about the costuming and like her point was that this isn't like a period piece. This is contemporary. These, uh, the costuming that she came up with, even though, um, you know, Telecon hat was a very, very old society, we're still living in a contemporary one right now. And the influence of um, having the vibranium and being very technologically advanced um, for both Talcon and Wakanda, um, she said that came through with her costuming um, and that she was not making them to be period pieces. So as someone who is very into jewelry, okay. I think that Namor would have to okay. be my favorite because of you know his neck piece that the that he had and mm-hmm. like I said the earring the earpiece the earrings mm-hmm. that I just it, I thought it was really fantastic but I also liked Namora's um where she had oh, yeah. the huge uh headdress yeah, yeah headdress. headdress um with the the flare out and the colors mm-hmm. were just they spoke to me I pretty much I like the one dress that uh Queen Ramonda wore at that UN meeting that scene that dress is so beautiful and like all the details and then her jewelry her cuff on her arm and her her wrist and the crown um was so beautiful but I also like the uh outfit that they gave Shuri when she mm-hmm. was going to meet Namor um, when um, they captured Shuri and Riri. Uh, that was actually mm-hmm. done by Iris Van Herpen, who's a, like known for their um, intricate details and almost like flowing fabric designs. Um, okay. Like, like kinetic designs. Um, so um, they... Um, designed that uh, dress specifically for Wakanda Forever, um, and I thought that dress was also beautiful. I did like the the dress you're talking about. Um, okay. I like the way the dress was introduced in the movie. Um, she says, uh, "Down here, royalty wears this sort of thing," you know. Mm-hmm. So they were. You know, ostensibly, they um, were prisoners, so to speak, but they were also acknowledging her place in it, mm-hmm. in Wakanda, and as as royalty, as a princess. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I like that, like its whole introduction, and then and then the, the costume itself was very beautiful. Mm-hmm. I think I also really like, I'm not sure why, but I really, really liked the sunglasses that Okoye had when they went to um, Massachusetts. Yeah. So interestingly enough, uh, Ruth mentions that in her article because she said 
that those were hers. Oh, okay. Uh, her, yeah, she was just like wearing them on set. Yeah. And Ryan was like, oh, I like those sunglasses. And she was like, all right, then let's go with it. Yeah. They're, uh, they're East, East St. Laurent. Oh, no, I'm sorry. These are Louis Vuitton. <laughs> I'm confusing logos. Uh-uh. My bad. My bad. Oh, <laughs> I'm not a fashion girly. I'm sorry. <laughs> Everybody's letters are squished in their logo. I'm sorry. All right. So why don't we go into our final overall thoughts on the movie? Um, and then we could talk about how we felt, you know, about the aesthetics, uh, the content, you know, break it down how you feel you need to in your final thought. I I think I've already said um, kind of how I felt. I wanted to like it more um, than I actually did. I wanted to feel more connection with it than I did. Uh, but there were just a lot of plot pinch points that really um, made me stop and say, but what? I also have an issue with how much Marvel is relying on um, special effects these days and not like physical effects and and green screening and all that kind of stuff that also takes away from my enjoyment of of just the way that the actors themselves interact physically with their environment because a lot of it is not really there See, I, I, um, I really liked it because I did feel more connection to it, especially with the theme, overarching theme of grief and healing from grief and uh, family and community. Um, I felt more connected to it. And I think that because everybody was grieving Chadwick Boseman, um, like there's a couple of lines in the film that I think Ryan Coogler wrote directly from his heart um I forget which ones they were I was reading an article about it the other day and um so I feel like a lot of that maybe is where some of the plot got lost um especially like towards the end kind of there was a this like really nice slow story about people trying to overcome trauma and grief and then it kind of ramped up at the end with the final fight I would say Overall, I like the movie. I would probably watch it again. Um, I, you know, like had already mentioned my issues uh, with the plot points. And if I was looking at it through the context of it not specifically being Marvel, I would probably actually like it a little bit more. And I think for black people and for indigenous people to be able to see the presence of people who looked like them who came from a culture like them I think that's a very positive thing the costuming was gorgeous the visuals were gorgeous uh so it it was a solidly made movie I think star rating star I give it a 
I would personally give it a four out of five. Okay. I would give it about a three out of five. And I would be in the middle of the two of you and say 3.5. Awesome. Cool. Okay. Sorry, I give it a... I would personally give it a four out of five. Okay. I would give it about a three out of five. And I would be in the middle of the two of you and say 3.5. Awesome. Cool. Okay. That was our review of Black Panther 2 Wakanda Forever. Thanks for joining in. All right. See you next time. Bye. Thanks so much for listening. Follow Blurred on the Street at Blurred Street on Twitter and Blurred on the Street on Instagram and TikTok. The Blurreds are Jenna, who can be found at Philly Girl JL. That's P H I L L Y G I R L J L on Instagram and Twitter. And Philly Girl J L H P H I L L Y G I R L J L H on TikTok. Jillian, who can be found at Jillian.Karen, that's J-I-L-L-I-A-N dot C-O-R-I-N-N-E on Instagram and TikTok. And Lily, who can be found chatting on Twitter at Elise on Life, that's A-L-I-S-E-O-N-L-I-F-E, and posting creative talents on Instagram at Lily P-H-L, L-I-L-L-I-E P-H-L.